Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. I want to welcome you this week to the Matrix Discussion Group call. We're going to start this out pretty much right at 9 o'clock. And uh, if anybody trickles in, they can trickle in. If not, people will listen to this at a later time. Okay, I always start out and say this is Sunday, first day of the week, not the seventh, not the Sabbath. That's something else people need to research and learn for themselves. Anyway, this evening, um, I'm going to talk about a project that myself and a few others have been working on. Um, and it's basically just titled um, Our Compact right now, um, which could basically also translate to like Our Agreement for instance, and there's multiple reasons behind this. And uh, before I get into the document itself, because it's just a one-page document made up of three sections, um, interesting, you know, it seems like a lot of things are set up in threes nowadays, so I thought, well, what better thing to do than to set this up, you know, in three parts as well. And so it too is set up in part one is... Uh, the mind, part two is body, and part three is spirit, which to me just uh, seemed really appropriate. You know, and I, this really, I think, started out from a very young age uh, myself. And uh, also, you know, just to let everybody know, um, when I get done uh, covering this, which hopefully shouldn't take long here, uh, open up the lines and everything if anybody has questions, things like that, comments. People can feel free to uh, go ahead and jump in and participate. That's really what this program is initially supposed to have been for in the first place. Anyway, you know that you know this really started from a young age myself, and like people have probably heard me say before, you know, I remember when I was young, <clears throat> my dad for some reason always seemed to like to have really big yards, and. Um, Guess whose duty it pretty much fell on to uh, take care of the yard and to mow it? Yeah, you guess it. It would be uh, normally the boy, which I was the only one, and the eldest, which I was. So guess who got to uh, get banned a lawnmower? And you're sitting behind a lawnmower, you have a lot of time thinking and kind of pondering. And at that age, you know, the only things you really know are what you've seen, what you've experienced so far, and that's really the way it is all through life. We only know what we've seen, what we've experienced, or what we've derived from what we feel others have probably experienced or said, wrote about, et cetera, et cetera. And in doing that, you know, I kind of thought, you know, like everybody does, sometimes more through life than I probably should, but why are we here? You know, what are we doing here? I didn't ask to be here. You look at everybody around you, and, and you see the typical families. And the parents are working all the time. And 
you know, their, their lives are very limited. It's, it's very restricted uh, between, you know, the bills they have to pay, the responsibilities they have, raising a family, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought, you know, is this the way it's supposed to be? Everything's laid out and dictated for you. You know, you go through school, um, you hit one milestone partway through where, you know, get to operate a vehicle and, and drive a car, as they tell you. And then you graduate, and you're supposed to go on to college and at some point get married, then raise a family, and then you fall into that 9 to 5 category as well and spend 40 hours or more a week you know, trying to sustain that family. And then along the way, uh, you're given other things to entertain you. And you get out of work, whether it's a refreshing drink or um, sports or different things like that. And, and so people's lives become cluttered right away. And I, I thought, gosh, is this really the way it's laid out? You know, everybody seems to follow this this one program. And growing up, you start learning about major things that have happened through life in other organizations, other parts of the world, and other people, things that they've done uh, regarding the constructs around them that restricted their time and what they did. And one of them would have been uh, Martin Luther. And he's well known for nailing the 95 Thesis on the wall. A lot of people don't know that I think the week before he nailed 17 Thesis, and this wasn't the first or second time. He'd done this several, three or four times, I think. Uh, he's just mostly known for this, whether it was because of the volume of what he wrote, it being like 95 Thesis. But what he was really doing is he was calling out the scholars of the day because he had some issues regarding the church. And... At that time, and even today, whether people realize it or not, you know, you hear people cry about separation of church and state, and there really is no separation of church and state. They are one and the same. Uh, to me, the state has kind of usurped the role of the original church, and it's kind of taken over that position. Uh, like I said, it's kind of placed its butt on the seat of the most holy. And in that trust format, um, it's taken over the position of grantor of the trust or whatever, and uh, they also seem to want to be the beneficiary at the same time. Uh, totally removing uh, any spiritual constructs really from our life. And one of the things I found interesting is, you know, with the things that, say, was being taught at the time of Yeshua, when he supposedly walked the earth. Um, you know, both the church and the state had some serious problems with what was going on. In fact, at that time, like I said, they were one and the same. The scribes, there's the scribes and the Pharisees, the scribes were actually part of the state. They just held an office within the church as well. <clears throat> and so it really hasn't changed a whole lot. You know, we, we still see the priests in black robes, you know, at your local courthouse. You know, they, they've just kind of adopted and followed the same philosophy. And in fact, other countries, I think, like England, for instance, they're referred to as lords. You know, uh, that really should be a good hint for people. And, you know, I, I looked at the situation with what he did with the 95 Thesis, and that was really the start of the Reformation. 
And I always had a problem with that because I was like, wait a minute, if they were having a problem with it, with the church, and, you know, this also started the Reformed Church, and he had a problem with her, and they, so they started the Reformed Church because they had a problem with the head church, whether it was Vatican, whatever they called it at the time. You know, why reform? You know, if you don't like what's being done and you don't think it's correct and proper, <clears throat> then you do even what the Declaration of Independence said. You start anew. You do your own thing. Uh, you can have some basic, maybe, principles that you did believe in, but you don't like the way things are being done. And, and so, you know, you create anew. Yeah, you, know, you don't just change it or reform it. Uh, the same thing with the Protestants. Um, there's been a call by one of the big Protestant pastors that, oh, he said, you know, about 10 years ago, it's time for the Protestants to stop. This five, 600 years of protesting. We all need to join together and become one again. And I was like, ah, that doesn't make sense. But at the same time, that's all the Protestants were doing as well. They were just protesting. They didn't leave. And in fact, that's why the Pope even refers to the Protestant church as the sister church. And he sees it as still being part of it, still being a member of the main organization, whether they think so or not. And it's the same way within the state as well. If you look on your coin, it'll say, E Pluribus Unum, you know, out of many one. And I really got to take issue with that because do you want to be one of the many? I mean, myself, I know I don't. Um, we hear talk of, say, 50, 60 million babies that have been aborted. I'm sorry, if you do some real deeper research, you're going to find the numbers are more like 250 million if you're including uh, chemically induced abortions. So, yeah, I'm not sure if I want to be one out of the many and identify as one of them. We've even heard it said that, say, judges, when they say you, they're not just talking to you specifically, but they're talking to you in general, you, all the people, and you being one or representative of them all. And, yeah, I take a little bit of issue with that, you know, especially when you look uh, at even what this country is set up for right now. I mean, it's set up to be in war, period. And there's tens of millions of people who have been, you know, I'll just say died in war. Um, along with, you know, we know events going on now with all the pedos. Um, that, then you've got all the drug abuse, things like that. Yeah, out of many one, yeah, doesn't sound really all that advantageous to me. Um, Smedley Butler, I believe, is the one that wrote the book called War is a Racket. Yes, you know, it really, really truly is. It's a big moneymaker. And he was very specific for using that word racket because that's exactly what it is. It's a big profit machine. And if you look at even what the military does today as far as even when officers go into retirement, over 50% of them retire and they go into the defense industry. They go to work for Lockheed Martin or whoever's at one of the companies that was affiliated with the military. And at the same time, you also see them being interviewed on TV and trying to, you know, tell everybody how bad we got to have these soldiers overseas and how important this is. And this has really been ingrained into people's minds and into their life. And myself, I don't really believe that this is the way things were set up to be. Nor should they continue that way. 
Um, we know if you look at even the Constitution for the U.S., uh, which was one of the things when I first started trying to learn and research, and I think the, one of the first things everybody sees is this whole uh, patriot rabbit hole, okay? And one of the first things I noticed there was there's people that have been working on finding out info for 20, 30, 40 years. What had happened to them? Have they gotten anywhere? Have they done anything? No, the majority of them either ended up dead on the side of the road or they died in prison. You know, where they grew very old and distraught with the way things are. And that kind of told me, yeah, that's not really the direction we're going to go in. And going and picking up the Constitution and reading the Bill of Rights, like I've said before, reading the Bill of Rights, I was like, is this for another country? Because I don't really see where we've got this right that everybody's arguing about today with the right to keep and bear arms. I really don't see that as being something that's all that or or really freaking takes place um or even you know everybody's little favorite thing with the right to travel you know reading that in the bill of rights yeah it's like well there's been something kind of twisted or turned around here uh something really doesn't quite make sense and so that told me that yeah evidently this isn't the right direction really to be researching this isn't really where any kind of remedy is going to be found So, you know, it's time to kind of step back, you know, get or step back or get on top of the mountain and get a better overview of things. And that that's really the direction I headed in. Um, and looking at things not just from the point of view of here in the U.S., but look at things from an international level. I think everybody has a tendency to... Um, get our mind trapped, or at least our views trapped. And it's very easy for them to get trapped with the only things we know. It's the things we see around us. Uh, but get out and start learning about other cultures and things that have happened worldwide and get a better viewpoint on what's really happening. Um, even in the Constitution, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 10, it talks about crimes against the law of nations. And I think a lot of people gloss over that without really realizing what that really means. But if you go and research Law of Nations, you find out it's a book. It's a book set up of, I believe, four parts. Thick book, like 670 pages. And um, it talks about the relationship of a, a government or a society and their rulers and their relationship to other governments and societies and their relationships to the people and the rights and duties of men, which is something you never really hear. Um, so with the Law of Nations being a reference point for the Constitution, uh, to me it was something that really needed to be studied. And we hear a lot about rights, but we never hear anything really about duties. Nobody ever brings up duties. Everybody knows their rights, but how many people know their duties? Because they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Everything is binary. It's a, totally a binary system. Uh, just like you've got the Republican Party, Democratic Party, it's a completely binary system. You've got good and bad, and you've got light and dark. And it's just very, very self-evident. <clears throat> and 
So looking at that position that we are in today, uh, hold on just a second. I've got something I've got to take. Sorry about that. All right. Um, we soon really find it, and we hear people talk a lot about how things are being operated unconstitutionally which is actually uh, called extra constitutionally. And it seems like when things were created here in the U.S. by what people love calling their founding fathers, which couldn't be further from the truth, it was a group of men setting up a company for themselves and their posterity, which meant their lineage. Um, they state it right there when they say our posterity. And they could have come right out and said, oh, we're doing this for the people of the United States of America. Well, they didn't say that. They said for ourselves and our posterity. And they set up some little exit doors to the Constitution as well, so that they could be operating what people think is extra-constitutionally, but it's really not. They are using those things written in the Constitution to administrate this company. <clears throat> and one of the main ones really would be the right of association. And when I started thinking about that, I, I know one of the things I first did is I just have random thoughts come in my mind and I, I just throw them into a search me engine, Google, Bing, whatever. And one thing I threw in one time was attorney's best kept secret. And whoa, what popped up? One thing, and I think even today I've gone just to double check, one thing pops up and it is a uh, video and it's primarily talking about health care, but it's talking about associations and the strength of associations. And I thought, oh, gee, well, you know, everybody knows about the homeowners association. And at best, that's the only thing anybody may belong to, really, if they belong to one at all, is a homeowners association. Uh, they might belong to the lion, the bear, the tiger, the moose, or whatever, one of those clubs. Those are all associations as well and don't have to necessarily follow local rules and regulations at the same time, which is very interesting. And so when you start looking more and more into these associations, it's like, oh, wow, there is some power here. And there's some strength here. And the strength isn't necessarily really, I don't believe, just in the fact that an association was formed it's got, you know, a president, it's got officers in it, it's got their own bylaws and things like that. Ooh, it's starting to sound a lot like the Constitution, isn't it? But to me, the real strength of it is the unity of the people and the people coming together under one common purpose, under one common idea, under a set of ideologies that they all can agree in and believe in and a way they're going to conduct themselves, their life, and the way they're going to conduct the surroundings and things that they come in contact with around them. Uh, people today don't have that. They don't have that construct in their life. Uh, the closest thing they really have would be these so-called rules and regulations, things that government likes calling laws. That's the only thing that they've really got that is governing their life. And unless you know, they do maybe come from a strong religious household, you know, and, and then um, they're going to have their own strict adherence, like to the Ten Commandments and different things. Whereas, in my point of view, the Ten Commandments are nothing more than anything that, than what your conscience 
should tell you what to start with. And, and so it kind of still makes you, or made me at least want to step back and really take an overall look at things. And when you look at these associations, you see, and it's very simple to find, um, you can look up, there's the Clerk of Courts Association. There's the Judges Association. Um, that DMV that you people belong to with their driver's license, that's an association. And that association, their state, belongs to a bigger association, the AAMV, that oversees the whole U.S., okay, or the whole USA, rather. Um, there is a defense attorney's association. There's a prosecutor's association. There is a county board of commissioners association. And I've posted proof of all these things online. And so when you start looking at this, what dawned in my head was that these were the rings within rings or circles within circles that Carol Quigley talked about when he was basically describing the New World Order and how things would be set up, is that it would be a whole bunch of little tiny groups that were all kind of intertwined with each other. And it didn't really matter if one got taken down because those members were also members of some of the other ones. So as a whole, that order would stay intact. And so you look and say, okay, what things have we become part of? What things have we joined in like mind with other people on? And there's really nothing. I mean, to me, that would really be one good way of looking at the state relationship with us today as us maybe really even being the foreigners. Um, because those people are all parts of different associations. What are we part of? We're part of nothing. We're not standing in unity with anybody. At best, like I said, we're standing in unity with e pluribus unum out of many one, which means we're joined at the hip with a bunch of pedophiles, drug abusers, murderers, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, no, thank you. That's not something I really want to be part of. And so the idea came to my mind to write up a basic, very simple, one-page document, um, something that most people should be able to comprehend, but something that definitely could be comprehended by any of the so-called powers that be anywhere. Um, a lot of people will point back to things like, uh, say, Jesus or Yeshua. And they're like, well, what did he do? He never uh, wrote notified the state of anything. Oh, no, he didn't. Uh, I think there's really good evidence that he wrote an affidavit. Uh, remember the situation with the woman accused of adultery? And what did he do? Uh, the parable goes, and, you know, and I think it's really interesting. A lot of things that people think they comprehend scripturally, they say, oh, that's fact. That's exactly the way it happened. And then the things that they're not quite so sure about, then they'll call them a parable or, oh, it's just an example of this or that. It's just a story to give you an idea, a metaphor, if you will. It's, no. I think there's definitely situations in there where even if we think we knew exactly what was going on, guess what? It might have been a little different one than we really think. And like I said, I'm mentioning the story of the woman that committed adultery. What did Yeshua do? 
according to the story or parable, he started writing with his finger or with a stick in the sand. He started writing some things down. Are you so sure that he was actually, he didn't file an affidavit? He didn't fill out an affidavit against the accusers? Um, and what was he writing down, you know? It, it, since he supposedly knew everything going on, uh, maybe he was writing down some of the names of some of these guys and some of the women they had slept with. Because uh, they all kind of quickly shrunk away from the situation, didn't they? Um, didn't he go into the synagogue? Like I said, there were scribes there as well. Scribes were part of the state. Didn't he go in there and overturn the tables or flip the script on them? Yeah, there, there were things that he was doing as well. So I, I think using him as an example of why we shouldn't have to do this or that, very, very poor example. And you look at the people that are the real movers or shakers of things in life today, and what do they do? You know, but they, they just don't have a belief, and that belief forms their life. No, they put things in motion. Uh, just like David and Goliath. David put something in motion, didn't he? And, and that's how you get things done. And so you've got to put something in motion. Right? In fact, that's really where the term motion in court comes from. You know, you're the moving party. Well, are you going to move things or are you going to stand back and continue to let life being run around you through... You know, your acquiescence or your silence through your tacit agreement. I think everybody's heard of presumption of law. That's exactly what presumption of law means. And it comes right down to you. Well, we presume you've not taken a stand on anything. So guess what? Um, we're your babysitter now. And so I thought one of the best things really to do would be for people to come together in like mind on something. And... A lot of people are going to say, well, you know, well, if, you know, if you're born in the United States or you're born in the United States of America, you're automatically a citizen and therefore, da, 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 da. yeah, yeah. So tired of hearing that. Uh, that may have been the way things were several hundred years ago, but things have changed. Um, a lot of things have morphed over time. Uh, there's new laws being written over and over. You know, if things were set up perfectly several hundred years ago, then we still are the U.S. or whoever wouldn't still be writing new laws today, would they? No. It's, law is a, it's a life form, if you will. It's alive. Um, a long time ago, the word law was actually spelled with two L's, which signified two legs, because it was in motion. It was moving. It was not something dead or dormant. And so there's no reason for us to be the same way. Um, and like I said, you know, people will say, well, you're born here, da, da, da. Well, you know, I find it very interesting that if you even go into the Constitution, for instance, and look at requirements to be president of the United States or United States of America, it'll say in there that you have to be naturally born in the United States or a citizen. Okay, well, guess what? That means when you're naturally born here, you're not right off to get a citizen. I, I think you assume that role. I believe you, you take on that office of citizen uh, later on through your actions. 
Uh, if you go to Vital Statistics and look at what they say in there about the birth certificate, they say it is not proof of identification because there is no photo attached. It's only evidence of a citizen. Oh, so what they do? They created that office of citizen for you when you were born, and obviously through your actions and things that you do later on, you assume that role and take on that role. Um, you're operating yourself right there under presumption of law. So I thought really the best thing to do would be, because so many people want a template for this or a template for that, and the main problem with that is that with just about every situation, all of those are case-specific. And when people ask me for a template on one thing or another, and I say, you know, I'm sorry, but that is a case-specific situation, they say, what do you mean? And I say, what do I mean by case-specific? They say, yeah. And, you know, not to demean anybody, but if you don't know what case-specific means, then, yeah, you definitely shouldn't be using an affidavit somebody wrote up. Because case-specific means your particulars in your situation are not the same as everybody else's in that same situation. Even though the charges might be the same, the particulars are different. And so there is no kind of one fix-all template for all these different little things other than I would say with an exception being um, the revocation of the voter's registration. That is basic. That's one thing I've seen that is basic and is the same all along, whether one state, one county to the next. <clears throat> but though I thought, you know, that in this situation, this could be something where done correctly that it could be general enough or useful enough for anybody, whether you are down here on Lake County, Florida, or up in Shelbyville, Kentucky, um, or whatever state you're at, or even whatever country you're at, whether you're in Canada or Australia, um, it doesn't matter uh, because the concepts, the precepts would be the same no matter where you're at because we are all born with the same rights from our creator. We all have the same standing from our creator. The only thing that changes is, you know, we put on that mask. Well, we know the term person is also referred to like as a mask or a role that you're playing. And like I say, with the description of citizen in the BC, that's another one of those masks. That's another one of those roles that you play. Um, Like back at Hamlet, I think it said in Hamlet, you know, I've given you one face, but you've put on another. Same exact situation applies. The only thing that rings true across the board is that the people in general and as a whole have not come together in unity to do anything or take any kind of stand. Because standing alone, you're going to get knocked down easy. But when people come together, not so easy. And one of, or several of the concepts really behind writing this was that I've seen people do a lot of different things through the years, whether it was, you know, Tim Turner out West and him going to jail um, and his people kind of being scared after that to do anything. Um, there was actually a county in, I believe it was Kentucky, that 
wanted to secede from the union. And they did for a short time and found out it didn't really work too good for them. But that was just one little county, one little group of people. And, or whether it's like the NLA, you know, they've got their own issues also. But, you know, one of the problems with all of these was that you had a central figurehead. Well, once you take out that leader, guess what? Everybody goes running scared. Or if there's an organization that's created or a union that's created, guess what? If that organization or that union is destroyed, guess what? That whole concept, that whole idea, everything's gone. So my idea behind this was for one single document that can be used by people anywhere. And the strength of it is in everybody that becomes party to it. And as that number grows, the idea grows, the strength grows behind it. And But like with anything that's used, even buy a template from somebody, whatever, anything that's used, though, is only as strong as the person that's using it. All depends on the per- person standing and, and how well they can present themselves with the knowledge of what they're using and with the knowledge of the document they're using. That part is going to ring true no matter what's done. So I wrote this up, like I said, in the the basic three sections, mind, body, and spirit. And mind, the mind section, the first section, I really deals with the reason, the purpose of the action. Um, This was kind of done in the U.S., but with different situations. First thing that they did was Declaration of Independence, which was really a tort claim against the king. That was their problems, their arguments, and what they didn't like about what was being done. And so kind of in the same way, um, this first section, mind, is in a bit kind of like a tort as well. And it goes into the body of it. Body um, basically explains your allegiance and your standing. And um, your affirmation really, again, as to the purpose of it. And the spirit, or the third section, is basically the jurat. And the jurat also is showing the standing, it's showing the unity, it's showing the strength of it. And really showing that you are who you are. And uh, um, if I read the document, then um, maybe you'll comprehend that. Like I said, this is just one page. And so I'm going to try and jump through this as fast as possible because there's really nothing more boring than hearing people read something. Um, This has been done. It's been put online. Um, It was put into a copyright several days ago uh, for the main reason that I didn't want anybody taking it and selling it to people. And at the same time, it really, it can't be rewritten. If anybody rewrites it and signs it, it's not going to be anything. It's going to be a standalone document, and that's it. It's not going to have the union. It's not going to have the joining of all the parties that there are to it. So it's going to lose a lot of strength there. <clears throat> so it's just titled simply Our Compact. And underneath that, in Latin, it says, Iterum Natus Ab initio. I know a lot of people probably know what the word Ab initio means, but maybe not Iterum Natus. By term natus evanutio, uh, really means uh, born again from the beginning. 
And the reason why I use that phrase is because this is not just a denouncement of any denominations out there. Not just church denominations, but but also governmental denominations. It's, they're really all the same. And they use the same practices. Uh, the church tells you that you were born a sinner. You know, uh, I, I really have a big struggle with that. I have a problem with that. Uh, even scripturally says that the sins of the father are passed on to seven generations. Well, even if just looking at that alone, I'm way more than seven generations away from Adam or even from Noah. Which I think is kind of crazy that people say, oh, we all came from Adam. No, actually, you all came from Noah and his family. Because Adam and all his offspring were gone. And all the other people that existed on the earth at that time, that's pretty much gone. So, yeah, you're really kind of from Adam, or from Noah, rather. But anyway, we're way more than seven generations away from there. So even with that scriptural principle, um, I don't see how being born a sinner can be used. But though in the state, instead of being born a sinner, you're born a debtor. I think everybody's like $60,000 in debt when you're born. Uh, just because of the debt of the U.S., which now we're going back to private associations, and it's an association you don't belong to. So how are you a debtor to it? Oh, yeah, everybody likes to claim the Constitution. Uh, they're referred to as constituents. You know, they've got their representatives, people they pray to, and they're a constitutor. And definition of constitutor, if anybody looks it up, it's one who agrees to pay the debt of someone else. And that's another one of those positions I don't really want to feel that I want to fill either. Uh, right in line with that whole e pluribus unum thing. So the document starts out, to all whom this may come, greetings, which that actually goes into old law, goes into deed conveyance. Uh, anyway, I'm going to try not to explain you this as I go through it. Otherwise, I'll never get through it. All right, first section, mine. We, the men and women of this compact, shall hereafter be referred to as we, us, our, my, or ourselves. Come now, being the full age majority, dwelling in our original jurisdiction, nationality, and possessing first-hand knowledge of the contents herein, with our allegiance being unified and like mind one to another, our, and our creators his realm, and our sentience, and established trust, being void for cause of any and all constructs, surety claim, or controversy of any polarity, principality, or temporal power, whether by canon, proclamation, proclamation um, divine right, or writ. Due to means of caste, corporate association, trust, or religion at all. Which is not evidenced by my full written consent. We have chosen this station for ourselves in our lineage, bonded together with only those of like mind and moral intent, standing only in our sacred honor one to another. That's the end of the section mind. And what's kind of written into there as well, because people think, oh, well, we don't want to be part of other people, the whole e unum thing. So what if some of these other people sign this? Well, you know what? This document will negate their position to it. 
because if they're not living an upright life, if, if they're not living a pious life, if they're not living in purity, then this document does not apply to them. Or they're falsely signing it and can in no ways be in unity or party with the rest of the people who have signed it. Uh, section 2, labeled body. We stand united in separation from any such system or association being disadvantageous to us to participate or interact with for cause due to those systems, transgressions to the rights of humanity, natural law, and its lack of moral character, piety, and the oppression and exploitation of knowledge, genes, and DNA infused by the Supreme Creator. We are void of any presumption or joiner, which is not evidenced by my full written consent with any such system due to any interaction, forced association, or intercourse with any officer, agency, affiliate, or use of its commercial script, which we perform under strict necessity and without the ability to exhaust legal recourse and or remedy in equity. For cause, any such assumption or presumption of joiner shall be repugnant to our self-determination and intent of exile. And therefore, consent is dissolved, refused, quashed, rescinded, and disregarded as frivolous, without merit, and void of any consequence to those of this compact. Any matter adversely affecting another shall be in the spirit of peace. Defined office in the facts. Very important line right there. We'll read that last line one more time. Any matter adversely affecting another shall be in the spirit of peace. Defined office of the facts. Now, in that section, kind of went over, again, who I said this would all pertain to and not pertain to. And then the last section, which is basically the jurat, which is uh, section three, labeled spirit. This we perform by our own hand through the divine spirit of our supreme creator without reservation or detriment to any other of this realm or of the dimensions beyond. Furthermore, the given names of those listed are the sole property of those listed. Should one find fault in our station, straight from thinking ill of it, suffering it to be so, absent from rebuttal, with our silence as our bond, we saith not. And that's the end of it. And there will be a place on the lower left where people want to use a notary. You can use a notary. That's fine. If you want to use three witnesses, you can use three witnesses. And uh, then on the bottom right, to best identify you, um, we're going to need your social security number and PIN number for your account. No, I'm just kidding. All you're going to put is your name and the day that you signed it or autographed it. Not dictated whichever way. And then you're going to put um, the place of your nativity and that day underneath it. And that's it. That's simple. And uh, this will be provided um, online. I've already put it up in one or two spots. 
Um, but I'll be putting it up again tomorrow into the group into Tactical Sovereignty uh, for people to look at and read if they want. And you, you know, might need to read it two, three, four times. Um, I'll tell you what, um, pretty much every sentence that I put into it, I rewrote and wrote 10 times in my mind and then two or three times on paper before it went on to it. Uh, this wasn't just a situation of sitting down in 20 minutes and writing something out. This is something that has been a work in progress. And uh, so I guess I'm just going to open the lines here. If anybody has any questions regarding this, uh, they can feel free to ask. Um, and like I said, when it goes up, it may need to be read two, three, four times to kind of get a grasp of a lot of the things that it's kind of nailing without even realizing that it's not coming right out and being said. And, you know, there's a reason why I didn't bring up certain things like pedophilia and drug abuse and, you know, the Federal Reserve. and all that. Because, you know, if you start naming transgressions of the state or the people or whatever, you're going to leave some things out. And so if you leave some things up, then it's going to be presumed that you're okay with those things. And now I thought it would just be easier to word this in a way to where they would be blanketly covered. Kind of a one-all for it. All right, I'll unmute everything here. And anybody has anything to bring up, feel free to do so. Uh, all lines are unmuted right now. Good evening, Brian. How are you tonight? Hey, good. This is Tom. I appreciate you uh, doing this tonight. You did a really great job reading it. It really sounded, uh, it sounds different coming out of someone's mouth, I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, you know, yeah, I've experienced that with a lot of different things. Uh, and uh, just to let everybody know, uh, Tom helped me out with this as well. And, you know, this wasn't, you know, one guy project. That's not the way I wanted to be. I wanted to have a few hands and a few minds involved with it. So anyway, yeah, what do you want to bring up, Tom? Anything? Oh, I guess I got a comment. Uh, maybe just something that's been going through my head a little bit with regards to how the first section relates to the second section and that there's actually a presupposition being made that really isn't being fulfilled right now by our society. And the uh, first part there, it says, come now being of the full age of majority. And uh, there's an interesting presupposition being made that the majority is made up of people who are operating with full width and depth of their capacity and that they make up the, the yeomanry or the, the people who are simply functioning in a private capacity associating freely and intercoursing freely with each other, yet not having any public trust or public office of trust. And so we're kind of in an interesting uh, time and place here in the United States where once you get the, the real uh, granular understanding of how the Constitution was, was created to create a citizen and that the citizen is a completely different entity than, than what you see of yourself as a live human being, uh, you kind of get the sense that the majority is not there anymore. And when you go down to the second part where it says, uh, 
presumption of joinder shall be repugnant to our self-determination and intent of exile. Well, that's such a powerful part of this whole document that there's a presupposition being made that amongst the whole majority, everybody agrees that you always have self-determination and the ability to exile and, and break contract or break association. Because as live beings, we have unlimited capacity to contract with unlimited capacity to contract. And that's something that uh, I believe, I guess from my humble perspective right now, this is a matter of education and a matter of awareness that just really is not out there within the general populace. And as a document gets written like this, as you use the word, most people will be able to read this and understand it. But I think we can presume that there's going to be a wide breadth of people that will not be able to discern what this document is actually doing. And so there's going to have to be some, some you know, additional uh, footnotes or something to go along with it for people to not have to know someone face-to-face -to, -face to be able to get the real down low on what's happening with the document. Because like you said, every sentence has its own real thrust. And, and so everything is built within its, within its associated sentence that comes before it. And so it's all linked together. And uh, I guess I just wanted to bring up that once we do have people associating with each other through signing this compact, we're at least starting from the, the fundamental ground level. And whether you call that being born again to your original dwelling or your original jurisdiction or your nativity, there's probably going to be a lot of different ways to refer to that in the end. But in, we're making a proclamation of our own standing and status. And I think that's where we become the majority again. And it won't feel so ugly to say, from many, one, because that one that we're making up is something so basic and so simple and so maybe logical and rational that nobody will feel that they need to bring up pedophiles or felons or drug dealers or any of the other things that we would see as transgressions against the goodness of our society because we're getting really, really down to the most basic associative process with each other that we always have the fundamental right to exile. And you don't know what you can exile from until you know what you're being fraudulently invited to participate in. So this is really a, a fun document to learn both what you are and then how you can understand your, your status and standing right now before you ever start understanding the rest of the document. But uh, that's all I'll say for that. I really think you've uh, put in a lot of work on this, and I applaud you on it. And, uh, you know, nothing is ever static. Uh, I was going to bring up a, a second point that you, you were talking about the law and how it's always alive. Um, and there's an interesting thing with, uh, what do they call it, a idiomatic antithesis, where there's the letter of the law and there's the spirit of the law. And that's another aspect of the majority where when people of average cloth and average standing in society understand the contrast between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law, we will no longer have 
a justice system that will allow for victimless crimes. We'll never have this transgression against someone with never being able to face an actual accuser because people will understand the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. And you really hit on that before you even started reading the compact is that this thing is alive. Everything that we participate in is absolutely negotiable. It has to be. Otherwise, you know, it would be the one thing in this world that doesn't change. And, and that's obviously not natural. So uh, I would applaud you at this, and I really appreciate the additional conversation that happens now and the additional footnoting that gets written. Because, you know, it's all, it's all going to be relevant. Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, what I didn't mention is that there's actually a page two to this. And this page two is just going to be giving, and that's probably where we're going to pop the um, digital signature in at. Um, that way, one, people can print this off and use it as a standalone document themselves. Um, and also, if they want, it will reference back to where there's a bunch of other people who have joined in. This isn't just me by myself, you know. At the, but this also goes into um, what you mentioned about full age and age majority is that a lot of people ask, you know, when is age of majority? Well, you know, uh, myself, I don't think I hit age of majority until I was maybe in my late 30s. It wasn't when I turned 18. It was when I started really comprehending what was going on and where I was at and what was happening here. And um, at the same time, that term full age, um, there's a lot behind those two words because not everybody is of full age. And definitely not everybody is of the age majority, no matter what they realize or don't. And that, that kind of goes back to what I said, that the document's only going to be as strong as those who use it and those that join in with it and uh, how you're able to stand on it. And I would recommend to people that when you read it, different little phrases like full age or something like that that you may not be familiar with, research it and sit down with a legal dictionary also for different words. Uh, people should be doing that with contracts that they get, which are all in fine print anyway, <laughs> you know what I mean? But we never do. You know, we, we, we just want to hot hop our butt into that new ride and cruise down the street, you know, I'll sign whatever, you know what I mean? Or just give me the keys to the house, I'll sign, you know what I mean? But, um, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I, I appreciate... Uh, the help that you've uh, let in this document as well. Uh, and Robert as well. I don't think he was able to join us this evening, but um, yeah. And like you said, th this hits on spirit of the law as well as letter of the law. And most people don't realize those two aspects. Uh, if you want to add something else, go ahead. Uh, anybody else, uh, feel free to jump in. Well, I have a really interesting analogy. Maybe it's only interesting to me, but it's it's maybe worth suggesting here that uh, when you say that the law is literally alive, that there's a conversation that's always ongoing amongst us if we are to be a, uh, a democratic republic, say a constitutional democratic republic, whatever words we're going to put on here. But at base, this compact makes sure that we're starting from egalitarian position where everybody is locked arm in arm instead of, you know, sitting as a island 
And one thing that we sometimes will find amongst all of the symbolism is that there's this sense of being lost at sea and that the, the majority really has a mooring or at least a destination and that they're moving things and that they're moving somewhere, that they're creating their own uh, wind in their sails. And that is kind of symbolized by your ability to understand that if you are to associate with a body, you're doing so with full width and breadth of your own capacity to do so, that both parties have to be fully transparent in all of the terms and conditions of whatever contracts are agreed upon between the two parties. And so there's this lost at sea symbolism in that to begin going anywhere, you have to establish yourself in equity or in this maritime world. And that is a completely different uh, activity than, than getting down to brass tacks with this compact. What this compact does is allows you to have a standing with other people, to have a fundamental place of position that is egalitarian in its most, most basic constructs, that there's a common fecundity that comes from all of us describing that I have to be born with a original jurisdiction. I have to start from somewhere, and that somewhere is the same somewhere that everybody else starts with. And unfortunately, we're not doing that as a society right now in the, in the way that things are, are formatted and the way people perceive themselves. You made a, a couple of verbal references to the fact that this compact only applies to a living being. Well, that, that in itself has some real depth and, and meaning to it. Some people will write it off as, well, of course it only applies to a living being. Who else could sign it at the bottom? Well, can't apply any of this to something that a group of people create. There's nothing that can be applied to someone that, that a legal entity or an office of trust. And there's something there that, you know, you read through this document over and over and over, this compact over and over, and you get a sense that this is where everything starts. The first grain of sand that goes through hourglass, that's, that's where this allows you to be. You're, one, you're now one grain of sand that falls through the hourglass, and once we're all agreeing to fall through that same little slot, we're all in sync now. We're all keeping time with each other. And that's going to be a fundamental shift in society because if people are talking about what they're, what they're actually doing as an original jurisdiction and coming to full age or the age of majority, a lot of that has to do with where your capability is to talk about what your standing is, to verbally state where your standing is and how it relates to your status. And these things are very alien to people nowadays right in, in America today. So this is a compact that really allows us to you know, get away from terms that are uh, obfuscating our reality and getting down to something that's very, very simple and straightforward. And that's kind of where your expertise in this, Brian, really is helping this whole thing along because you used words that have had historic relevance and so you talk about the universalism, if you live in Australia, if you live in Sweden, if you live in these countries that have 
you know, it looks like it has different window dressings, but it's the same sort of uh, apparatus or syndicate that, that creates the person, that creates the legal fiction. And so this compact applies to them as well. And they'll have to applaud you as well in your hard work that you put into this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that's really what has to be done. That's something that has to be done, like, right, right, you know, like I said, one grain through the sand and it, right from the beginning. Because nobody's done this. People haven't come together. You hear people talking about people all being awake and all this kind of stuff. Okay, that's good. But where's the unity behind you? Where are you guys coming together at? And how are you approaching things? And so, yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh, does anybody else have anything they want to bring up here? If not, uh, this was really meant to be kind of just a quick conversation tonight just to cover this, and I'll be putting this up tomorrow. There's one or two things I kind of want to do a change on. One thing is incorrect, and there is also something that needs to be identified that was not identified in this. I don't know if anybody caught it this evening or not, but um, <clears throat> anyway, I'll be discussing that with you later, uh, Tom, and I uh, uh, just want to say thank you to everybody for being here you know like i tell everybody every week what this is really about or should be about is what we need to really learn who we really are where we're really from and where we're really at because we've been deceived on all those levels and so it's time for us to you know kind of take the reins uh put the big boy pants on if you will and start taking some control of our life and showing our own self-determination because up until now, everybody's just kind of been following the leader. And in my viewpoint, it's not really working out too good. So anyway, guys, until next Sunday night, thank you all and catch you then. Good night. Have a good night. Thanks, Brian. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.